So what we found was there's a pronounced gap between female and male respondents in this survey about whether their employer is transparent on numeration and pay parity. So in this particular survey, male respondents are more than three times likely, 58%, to agree that their employer is transparent about numeration than female respondents at 18%. So 58% males, 18% females. Well, Linda, we're both members of FIMSI's Diversity Advisory Council. We should probably start by telling everyone what the council is and its role. Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. So, um, look, FINSI's mission is really to kind of uh, deepen, you know, financial services and raising its standards of professionalism, and diversity is a key part of that. Mm-hmm. So, I guess the Diversity Advisory Council really, you know, we're making sure that um, FINSI can deliver on that. And, you know, as I mentioned, diversity, and it's all parts of diversity. It's gender, ethnic background, sexual orientation and age. So, you know, we're trying to, we're working towards an assessment across all of those aspects of diversity, but but really at the moment the focus is on, on gender and, you know, look, women comprise 50% of the population. It's just, it's our start, so we're trying our best to sort of look at also other aspects, but, you know, measurement's a key piece. And so it, it's a little bit easier at the moment from a gender perspective. So, you know, but we haven't lost focus on the other areas of, of, of diversity. So that's, you know, mm. definitely, you know, part of our professionalism uh, standards up, uplifting. This survey has been conducted for a while now. It's its 10th year. Before we, we jump into the findings of this year's survey, why do we do it? Why do we spend time investing in the survey? Yeah, look, it's it's been a fascinating journey. And like you said, 10 years and... Um, you know, we, I, I guess for us, we live in hope each time the survey is released to see some change. And it was the first of its kind. It was, it was groundbreaking back 10 years ago. And, you know, the fascinating thing was it was talking about perceptions. And when we first looked at the results of the survey, there was nothing much to them when we looked at them holistically. But when we split the responses between males and females, that's when the real data came alive and it made us sort of question and sort of wonder what's happening in the industry. And as times progressed, uh, you know, the WGA, so it's a workplace gender equality agency, came in and they actually provided actual, you know, I guess we call them facts around, uh, for example, with, with pay gap and, and gender equality around that. And what we found was, uh, for instance, you know, what the perceptions were between males and females, that females were seeing something was actually substantiated by the actual findings from the WGA uh, survey. So the comparisons we do throughout the survey and throughout really adds that extra bit of colour to it that I think really helps us understand what's really going on in our industry. So it's been a you know great journey in the 10 years and we, you know, I guess, like I said, we keep wanting to see change going forward. Well, there are a lot of insights in more than 50 pages in, in this report and obviously we, we're not going to be able to cover off all those insights in, this, in the time we have for this podcast. But before we drive down into some of the key insights, standing back first, overall, what do you think the survey is telling us? Yeah, look, I think um, one of the key things for me is the unconscious bias piece and really nice to think back, that's what we kicked off. 10 years ago was we said, look, there is this unconscious bias. What is it? What does it look like? What are people thinking? And that's really been the key. And that hasn't changed. So throughout the last 10 years, it's the unconscious bias. And I kind of reflect back 10 years and we are still talking about it now and it's still an issue. So yeah, what about yourself, Lisa? A lot of the, the way we look at issues or our perceptions of issues are definitely shaped by our own individual lived experiences. And for me, 
The survey suggests that possibly men and women uh, have different perceptions on some of these key issues because they themselves have had vastly different experiences. So I think this survey is really powerful at capturing why people may view issues differently. And it's not as though, you know, we often talk about unconscious bias being a negative thing or we talk about it with uh, judgment, but at the end of the day, people's view of the world is shaped by their experience of the world. And um, I think that this survey is great, does a great job at getting people to look at these issues possibly from a different perception and question why they themselves may have the views that they they do have on these important issues. Yeah, absolutely. It provides that insight that we may not necessarily, you know, have. And I guess, you know, the, the key piece is, um, you know, have things changed, you know? And I think if I reflect back to the first meeting we had last year with the with FinCIS Diversity Council when we started to plan for uh, this survey, that was certainly sentiment expressed by the group that there's a sense of frustration that those really important indicators such as, you know, the percentage of women in seen, the whole senior leadership positions and organisations, they're just not budging in some cases or the number of women on, on boards there is almost a sense of not another survey that's going to show us yet again the same information that we already know. But I think what's different about this survey is that it does analyse those differing perceptions and the gap between those perceptions and asks, I guess, in an indirect way, are these differing perceptions what's holding us back? Absolutely. Let's jump into the detail now, Linda. What's an insight that's really stood out for you this year? There seems to be a disconnect between what organisations are saying and what they're doing. So it's this piece about in principle versus in practice. So um, there were a couple of questions and I'll go into detail as to the particular ones. But basically, you know, organisations are doing a lot to promote gender equality, particularly larger ones. So we're seeing, you know, more respondents have diversity inclusion in their KPIs and which is associated with their role. So, you know, more than half agree that the promotion of advancement of women and organisations are priority in principle. But what's happening is with the female respondents, uh, it's still, you know, less likely that men agree uh, that their employees committed to the promotion of advancement of women in practice. So the, the gap between the saying and doing has actually widened. So this is a bit of a concern. So if we look on, on page 10 in the actual report, so question 14, the question mm-hmm. was, is a promotion advancement of women into senior roles a priority in your organisation in principle? So the survey actually recorded an increase in respondents agreeing that the promotion and advancement of women into senior roles is a priority in principle. So specifically, we found you know, 70% of respondents from organisations mm. with more than 10,000 responded yes, you know, compared to 38% from smaller organisations. And those smaller organisations are sort of between 10 and 199 employees. There wasn't sort of any significant difference between males and females' uh, responses from large organisations. So, yeah, that's in principle. So when we move on to in practice, so on, on page 11, uh, question 15, the question was, is the promotion and advancement of women into senior roles a priority in your organisation in practice? What we found was that, you know, female respondents are still very much less likely than men to agree that their employer is committed to the promotion and advancement of women in practice. So there's a, a gap between the expectation and reality for women. And, and in fact, what we found was that the gap between saying and doing has widened another 3.5%. And that moves, brings it to 23%. So this gap is widening. And I think it's fascinating when you sort of look at this piece around, you know, I think large organisations, and, and we see it all the time, 
Uh, they're promoting what they're doing to assist women in their careers. So people are hearing it and they're seeing it in terms of, you know, published articles, presentations. But then when it comes to the actual, you know, in practice, the day-to-day life, the women are not experiencing that change. So that's what these sort of two questions highlighted, um, you know, which is a mm. consistent view uh, in the industry that, that we've noticed. What about for you? Um, what, what do you sort of see? What, what other kind of key highlights? Yeah. Well, lots jumped out for me, but I have to say one that really did stand out for me was question 22 on page 41. And that question was, in the past five years, have you or do you know someone who has experienced inappropriate behaviour or remarks of a sexual nature, so sexual harassment or sexism, from a colleague, co-worker or manager? So more than half of the female respondents to the survey and 35% of male respondents said that they uh, have occasionally experienced or known someone to experience harassment or sexism in the workplace. So that's a, a pretty big jump. Now, there was a relatively small number of female respondents under the age of 25 who responded to this survey, but what is of particular concern is from that small number of respondents, this was certainly the age group where there was the highest percentage of women who indicated that they had either experienced or witnessed sexual harassment at work. Wow. And that was a whopping 60%. Now, again, it was a small sample, um, but still very, very concerning that of those women, whether it's 110, 110, 1,010, uh, is 60% of those women um, have said that they've either experienced or witnessed sexual harassment um, in, the, in the workplace. It's a really concerning number. And look, that finding is actually aligned with some findings um, that came out from the Human Rights Commission that shows that younger age groups are more likely than older persons to experience sexual harassment in, in the workplace. So that was something that really jumped out for me. And I guess compounding my uh, the concern around the findings of that question were the findings to question 17 on page 13. And that question asks respondents to indicate um, if they were comfortable raising issues or concerns relating to gender equity in their in their organization. And we also the survey also asked how comfortable they were raising issues with different types of um, people w- w- around them. So our survey found that there was an increase in discomfort from both men and women in terms of raising workplace gender equity issues with their organisation leadership. So the number of female respondents indicating they felt comfortable raising issues or concerns relating to gender equity to leaders, it's dropped from 43% to 32%. And there was also a drop in the number of male respondents indicating they felt comfortable raising issues of concerns in regards to gender equity, that dropped from 50% to 45%. In terms of who people, who men and women feel more, more uh, comfortable raising these issues with, female respondents were more likely to indicate that they felt comfortable raising gender equity issues only with other women at 31%, while male respondents were more comfortable raising their concerns with groups of diverse gender, such as men and women at 55%, Only 12% of men surveyed said that they felt comfortable raising issues or concerns relating to gender equity in their organisation with other men. So I found that was um, something that was very interesting, two really important issues there, that the first question relating to an increasing number of people uh, saying that they're experiencing or witnessing sexual harassment in their workplace compounded by 
um, drops in levels of comfort for both men and women in terms of raising issues that relate to those type of type of things happening in the workplace. Yeah, and that's actually quite interesting in the current times with what's been happening, you know, with the Australian Parliament and those discussions. So it's fascinating to see those results for our industry as well. Yeah, we're clearly not immune. No. <laughs> so, Linda, what's another uh, finding that really stood out for you? Look, uh, another finding for me is um, this piece about pay transparency and that there's this, you know, vastly different views on that. So um, going back to my earlier comment about the WGA statistics, this is where it gets really interesting and it brings it all to, to life. So I'll, I'll kick off with sort of, I think, uh, question 16 on page 12 of the report. So the question we asked was, is your organisation transparent about remuneration system and parity of pay between genders? So what we found was there's a pronounced gap between female and male respondents in this survey about whether their employer is transparent on remuneration and pay parity. So in this particular survey, male respondents are more than three times likely, 58%, to agree that their employer is transparent about remuneration than female respondents at 18%. So 58% males, 18% females. Now, it's interesting that a reason for the difference is, is when we look at the WGA data, it actually shows that financial and insurance services industry remains the industry with the largest gender pay gap. So that pay gap is 27.5% for total remuneration, and that includes bonuses and incentives. Now, looking at the base salary, it's 21.2%. So what's really, I think, amazing for us probably as an industry is it feels like, okay, if you look at the base salary, 21.2%, yeah, it looks about right. It's consistent with all the other industries. But as soon as you add the bonuses and incentives, which our industry is actually has a, a high focus on, you know, it's part of mm, our dries DNA, off. Yeah. It's part of our DNA, <laughs> you know. And so once you add that, it's 27.5%. So it kind of almost changes the discussion around, you know, it's not just base salaries, but we need to also look at these bonuses and other incentives. And only then we can maybe start to sort of say we're, we're getting there. So I think it's something that as an industry, because we're focused so much on, on, on bonuses and people talk about it all the time, that that should be part of the discussion as well, not just base salaries. Now, linked to that, uh, we, we look at in terms of there was a, a statement that we actually posed, several statements to our to the survey respondents. On page 22, we had a statement, and it was statement uh, G, and it was the pay gap in financial services is gro- grossly exaggerated. So the, the responses were 77% of male respondents remain neutral, agreed, or strongly agreed, the pay gap in financial services is grossly exaggerated compared to 40% of women. And then 60% of women disagreed. The pay gap in financial services is grossly exaggerated compared to only 23% of males. Now, when you sort of look at this particular statement and then you compare it to the statistics that WGA presented, so it's perceptions Mm. and facts, Mm. clearly, so you, you compare it to question 16, it's alarming because the pay gap is 27.5% and it's the worst industry uh, in all the industries that the yeah. WGA surveyed. So to me, that's where this really comes to light. And I think we may have been in denial in the past, but we now have this, you know, this data uh, that we can compare with, like I said, facts, you know, facts you know, versus fiction, I sort of like to call it. And um, unfortunately, as much as uh, the perceptions Males saying it's grossly exaggerated. Comparing to WJ data, it's not. 
So it's it's yeah. quite cute. Yeah. yeah. So so Lisa, I know. Uh, what else is there? Something else that um, we also kind of found the survey that sort of resonates for you. So there's something that I found very interested in the section that you referred to before of the written statements when we asked the respondents to give their reaction to these statements. And this, it's question G on page 33. And the statement is, women with diverse backgrounds, such as cultural, LGBTQI plus disabilities, age, have additional barriers to progressing to executive levels. And this statement was actually introduced for the first time in 2018 to the survey. And it reflects what you said at the beginning of the podcast, that the council, while it has a focus on on gender issues, it also most certainly has a, a focus on those broader issues. So there was a really notable finding here that just jumped out at, at, at me. 77% of female responses compared to 42% of male respondents acknowledged that there are additional barriers to corporate leadership faced by women from diverse backgrounds. So to me, that indicates, again, what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Could potentially women be more sensitive to this issue because they may well be drawing on their own lived experiences and potentially could there have been male respondents to this survey who don't see there being any kind of barriers because they themselves have not experienced those barriers. The other really interesting finding was that 50% of male respondents on on boards responded no to this statement and 34% of male respondents in middle management responded no to this question compared to 11% of female respondents in middle management. So I think that's quite an interesting insight there too. Absolutely. I think there's a lot more work to, to go in that particular area. So, Linda, where to from here? What do you hope to see as a result of this survey? What do you hope members who are listening to this podcast might might think about or even do after they listen to this, this episode? And I guess the first thing is to, to read the survey. Um, and, and then, you know, once, once you have read the survey, what do we do with these results? Yeah, look, it's a great question and I think it's something that I keep asking every time that the survey comes out. But I think this time it's a real call to action. And I talk about a call to action of not just men but also other women, you know, other women in senior positions as well. So, you know, this is, I keep saying, sort of a human problem. It's not just men but also women. We need that call to action. Um, And like I mentioned earlier, I think, look, this is a cultural issue you know it's not it's an Australian cultural issue and I think that's quite quite clear so it's not unique to financial services uh, and, and I guess on the point that you raised earlier about you know being uncomfortable to raise various issues you know I think that is again goes back to to you know the fact that it is a cultural issue but I think you know we we need to sort of really uh, focus on the sort of pay transparency promotion promotion of advancement of women uh, in the industry and just we need to make sure we keep an eye on it so, look, I think the other thing that I sort of think about as an industry, I think why can't we take the lead on some of these topics? Mm-hmm. Why can't we mm-hmm. be the industry that uh, actually executes some, some decent change? So I know there's a, a whole bunch of things planned that Fincia will do. I know that um, Chris Whitehead, the CEO of Fincia, is, is planning an industry roundtable uh, towards the mm-hmm. end of the year with, with senior stakeholders even before that, uh, I believe uh, Fincy will be holding some web- webinars and uh, to discuss some of these these issues. So I think it'll help to to increase the, the the conversation to sort of have 
people think about what can we do because I think that's what everyone's looking for, you know, some implementable yeah. change. And I think also that implementable change is what we need to hopefully see a shift from that, that gap that you talked about at the top of the podcast in terms of, you know, that we're seeing action in principle but we're not seeing action in, in, in practice. And the other thing that I think is really worth calling out to, um, and look, this probably isn't news to some people who listen to this podcast but it might be to some, as well as it being the right thing to do, there's a really compelling business case here to ensure that we have greater gender equity, particularly in those really senior decision-making roles, and there's there's countless data that's come out that's shown how the bottom line of an organisation can be vastly impacted and improved as well um, when an organisation is, is far more diverse. Even there was a joint study done recently by WGEA and um, Bankwest Curtin Economic Centre that showed that companies with more women outperform companies with fewer women. Companies who appoint a female CEO increase their market value by 5%, which is worth nearly $80 million to an average ASX 200 company. And increasing the number of women in other key leadership positions by 10% or more can increase a company's market value by 6.6% or on average $105 million. So, you know, while I'd rather see change because it's the right thing to do and it's a fair thing to do, there's actually a very strong, compelling business case here as well to ensure our organisations are far more diverse. Absolutely, and something we can't ignore. And I think, you know, if you think about the industry being driven by profits, you know, you, you would think that is a fundamental driver uh, to affect change. So absolutely, and that's something I'm, I'm sure there'll be more research on, but it's already out there, so um, it, it's quite obvious a quick thing in terms of, I think, some key takeaways that I've sort of, you know, even as a, as a council, we've, we've discussed what we can potentially do. And a couple of things that come to mind for me is, is the increased sponsorship of women into senior roles and leadership opportunities. So, and that, as I said earlier, about both men and women supporting women into this. And if you think about it, they're the pipeline to board representation in the future. So, if we don't give these women these, you know, executive and senior positions, they won't be able to eventually sort of hit the board. So, you know, the board representation has, has you know, worked really well in terms of increasing representation of women over the years, but eventually that pipeline will diminish if we don't give these women these leadership opportunities. So I think it's critical that we we look to really do that. And the other one is around just the, the pay transparency. So I think all of us, you know, if we move into particular roles and we might inherit a team or build a team, you know, let's take a step back and have a look at, you know, our males and females in our teams and see what are they being paid? Are they being, you know, paid equally? And if not, Let's raise that uh, and make change. So there's small things, I think, as, as a start. There's many more things that I'm sure as an industry will come together and, and, and come up with some other great ideas. But I think these are kind of some simple ones that each of us can take away and do. Excellent. Well, great conversation, Linda. Let's hope in two years' time, if we're having this conversation again, that we'll be talking about some changes through the, through the survey. I am hopeful, Lisa. I am hopeful. Mm-hmm. 